0: On this episode, we're talking about starting a business. Should you even do it during the time of a pandemic? My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 130. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks, a show about navigating a changing world and thriving in our careers, no matter if it's our second, third or fourth act. I'm Lou Blazer, your sidekick. And today we're getting curious about starting a business. Now, why are we talking about this? Why does this even matter? As the pandemic extends and the economic issues deepens, more and more of us are going to feel the pressure very similar to what happened during the 2008 recession. Remember that? So we've been here before. More and more of us are going to want to or are going to be forced to consider alternate sources of income, perhaps even feel the urge to finally do that side project that we've always wanted to do which then raises the question, is this a good time to start one or to even be thinking about starting a business? When we hear about small businesses closing shop left, right, and center, right? So that's the question at the heart of this episode. And to dig into this question, I'm joined by business coach Michelle Ward. Since 2008, Michelle has been guiding creative women to bridge the gap between an unfulfilling career and their dream business. Her programs include helping women clarify the business goals, launch their ideas, and grow their business. Now, when I sat with Michelle a few days ago, she and I talked about, spoiler alert, why she thinks starting a business in these crazy times is actually the right time. But of course, you knew that, right? That's not really a, a spoiler alert. She's a business coach, so of course, she's going to think that. But she explains why she thinks that way. Uh, We also talked about what to consider if you're thinking of a product-based business versus a service-based business and your first steps, like what what should you be doing as you venture into the land of business ownership. Now, if you've ever toyed around the idea of going off on your own, either full-time or on the side, this episode is for you. And if you know someone who's mulling this over, point them towards this episode too. Okay, here's Michelle, and we get right into it with Michelle's answer to that question. Is this even a good time to even be thinking about starting a business, for goodness sake?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, you're talking to a business coach, and so I will be biased um, when I say yes, 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 but I'm biased in... Um, a way that is supported by the fact that I have done this work now for 12 years and counting. And um, with specifically what I see happening with my clients right now, I'm excited because before all of this happened, um, I I knew there was going to be something like 15, 16 business launches, I was going to be celebrating this summer through the work that I'm doing with my clients. Um, And when everything hit, initially was like, okay, is everyone going to just leave? Is everyone going to throw in the towel? Is everyone going to freak out? Because you know, I joke that the emotional part of starting a business, being a, a newish business owner, is what keeps me in business. Um, and sometimes the emotional piece—it's so scary, it's so vulnerable. It is—it um, is such a, a test um, to start a business in the best of times. That to do this in these uncertain times is really just throwing yourself into the fire in a in a really big way. Um, and I'm really happy. To say that all of my clients who signed up before this happened, um, they're all showing up and they're all following through. And I'm hearing them say things like, well, when is the best time? When is the right time? And if not now, when, and if anything, I want to start this business now more than ever. Um, and what is even more exciting for me is the, Business owners who I work with, and I work exclusively with highly creative, multi-passionate women. So I'm really talking about their experiences. Um, We have, I have a six month mastermind. So there are 20 women in this mastermind. We started in January. We wrap up at the end of June. And so we all showed up in March with like our heads kind of spinning and, oh my gosh, what just happened? And I don't know how to proceed. And um, we spent April really going through, I issued them a challenge every month of like, okay, how are we adjusting our businesses to meet this time? And how are we taking care of ourselves as well as our business, our clients, our prospective clients. And in April, the very end of April, they showed up for the plan and review call. And I was like, this is not, everyone's going to be a bunch of negative Nancy's, you know, Debbie Downers, like this is not going to be a great call, but we're here together. We're going to support each other. And one by one, they start putting in the chat. This was my best month ever. I have a client who's celebrating her first entrepreneur anniversary in May. And she said, Oh, I realized I made a total of big celebratory number, pretty much the same amount she was making in her, you know, day job from my business this first year. And I'm already booked through almost the end of May. And I'm going. Oh, and I got two new clients and I got, and I'm going, it's the middle of a pandemic. What is that? What are you talking about? Um, and I've seen the same thing happen in my business where, um, like amen and hallelujah, my income has been pretty much the same and steady. Um, and so to be able to say, you know, I have this 10 year old business And I am, knock on wood, doing better and feel more stable and secure than a lot of my friends who don't work for themselves is, um, oh, my gosh, is everything right now. So that's my really big, long answer for you. (laughs) All right. So
0: a couple of things. Michelle is primarily focused on building online businesses. So not so much the brick and mortar type. So if the idea that you have or the kind of business that you want to build requires you to have a storefront with foot traffic and lots of inventory, Clearly, you want to do a lot more research into that. For those kinds of businesses, I feel like you always need to do more research, but especially now when coronavirus adds a level of complexity to anything that requires foot traffic. But if your heart is set on a brick and mortar shop, I would recommend that you listen to an oldie but goodie episode all the way back to episode 34, my interview of Ashley Kennedy, who started a boutique store in one of the tourist areas in Florida. I'm going to put a link to that episode on the show notes. She talked about exactly what she had to do, like the kind of research that she had to do before she even invested on the, on the storefront that she eventually picked. But I do want to put a pin, though, to one thing that Michelle said.
1: It is such a, a test to start a business in the best of times that to do this in these uncertain times is really just throwing yourself into the fire in a really big way. And I'm really happy to say that all of my clients who signed up before this happened, they're all showing up and they're all following through. And I'm hearing them say things like, well, when is the best time? When is the right time? And if not now, when? And if anything, I wanna start this business now more than ever. If there's only one thing that you're gonna take away from this entire episode, that would be that.
0: Okay, so with that baseline sentiment that this is actually as good a time as any to consider starting a business, how do we know that this idea that we have is a good idea? How do we know that the skill that we have can actually be parlayed into a business?
1: Well, a few things come to mind. Number one, for those clients who I like to say are in the discovery Piece where they're not a hundred percent sold, sure of their idea yet that this is the idea. I encourage them to try to find a guinea pig client before they do anything else. So to that person, I would say send out some feelers, whether that's you know texting people that you think might u- use or want the thing that you're thinking of, or sending an email of like, I'm looking for one person. I'm looking for three people to do some freelance copywriting for.
0: Say I'm a great project manager in my current job. Can would somebody be willing to hire a contract? A billion
1: percent. Or you know, I work with people who decide to start businesses all the time that they have no professional experience and ever doing. But there's always some backstory. There's always some personal history. There's always something that relates to it. And so even if you don't have that professional experience, but you say I want, I'm working with someone right now. Um, to be like a simplification coach and help simplify your life in a variety of ways. And she hasn't done that professionally yet, but there have been various aspects of her life where she has done that for herself and she's super passionate about it. Um, so for her being able to say to her people, you know, I love, a, and I always tell them, don't make it this long-term thing. Don't make it. I want to work with you for six months. It's like I want to talk with someone for 90 minutes who needs help simplifying X, Y, Z in their life. And let me, help you figure out what that looks like for you and get an action plan in place. And in exchange you should always charge because people who have free stuff do not value it as much. You will get more ghosters and it will not feel like a business interaction for you. Um, But you charge a lower rate than you would maybe otherwise. And you rope them into giving you feedback so that you have their feedback But you also need to kind of give yourself a feedback form of like, what about this worked? What about this didn't? Um, And I say to my clients, when I do the discovery work with them, I make them do this guinea pig process. And sometimes they don't get the guinea pig. Um, And I tell them, it's okay. You know why? Because what I care about is how you feel about not getting that guinea pig. And I have some people that were like, I'm so upset. I really wanted to do this work. I was so attached to this. Like, great. That's the business that we want to start. Um, and some people were like, oh, I did the skinny pig. It got a great response. But like you said before, um, once I did it, I was thinking about this other thing the whole time and it didn't feel good. I've had a client, um, pick the right business idea, but her client was and, ha- and able to help her realize it wasn't the business idea that was, it was actually the client. And if she had, a better, kinder, nicer client, then it would have been a better experience. And so that is the business idea she wants to start. So let me just
0: make sure that I understand that, Michelle. So what I'm getting is that if say I had this idea of, I, I have a great writing skill, so maybe I could be a, you know, a editor for hire, I look for guinea pigs first to see if I could test that idea to see if People will actually hire me for that contract work. But what I heard you say also is
1: that even if you didn't get the guinea pigs, that it's okay. Yes. And notice how it makes you feel and notice what comes up. Because here's the thing, too. If you're looking for an editing job and you don't have any people that you know firsthand who are writers, you're not going to find that client. It doesn't mean that you're not a good editor and you can't have an editing business. It just means that in your immediate circle, you don't have anyone with this need. To be a business owner, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's funny because I have very few clients who come to me and say, here's my business idea. And I say to them, I don't think you're going to have the audience for that. I don't think that's a viable business idea. Sometimes when they want to niche it to death, or sometimes I had a client recently, um, come up with a business idea and then say, but I think I only want to do this for seniors. And I said, nope, that's not, you're not going to make any money. Like you're not, you can't do this just for senior citizens. We have to expand that base. And she went, oh, okay. Right. That was me kind of maybe sabotaging myself or staying in my comfort zone or, or whatnot, unless it's a brick and mortar business. And then I think you need to have more of a traditional business plan and do really strong research as to like, well, I want to open up a barber shop on this block. Well, are there five other barbershops on this block? Are the people you want to have come into your barbershop, the kind of people that live there? How's the foot traffic? Like all of that stuff you need to research and really look into to make sure it's more of a viable business idea. But otherwise, especially for um, the types of businesses we're talking about being a consultant, things that have really low overhead that you don't need to sink tons of money into, or you don't need to have huge overhead for, and you don't need business loans for, and that sort of stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm of the mind that like, yeah, there's a, there's a need for it and go, go find your people. Um, They just might not be your, your first, um, first degree connection
0: no let's turn it the other side we're in um like so the first thing is I had an idea because I am banking on my skill set or my interest but the other side
1: is I want to start a business but I have no I I don't know what to do it's very hard like I was that person back in 2000 and Six or seven, when I realized my the career path that I was on was not working for me and I needed to find something else. I was the person that went to the bookstore, bought what color is your parachute, like everyone else, and did three exercises and threw it across the room, knowing it was not catering to multi-passionate creative people. It was not catering to, and I didn't really know it at the time, but this was I feel like key to everything. It was not catering to people who wanted to be business owners. I don't think it was catering to women, but another thing. Um, but my, my quick and dirty answer, because <laughs> I feel like here's, here's a little shortcut I would maybe recommend is get down all your ideas, get down all your ideas on one side of a piece of paper and on the other side of the piece of paper, write down where it sits. In terms of, I like to call it the scary excitementometer. So I always tell my clients, you need to search for that feeling of equalish amounts of fear and excitement, because that means that there's joy around that thing, but you also really care about it and it matters and it's important to you. And you could look at this list of like, here are my ideas. Here are the things I can do. Here are the things that other people told me to do. Here's, I always tell my clients, listen to like the tiniest whisper of what has been in the back of your head that you've been going, no, 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 not this. No, not this. This isn't viable. This is going to be embarrassing. This is, has nothing to do with anything. This isn't important enough. We got to pay extra attention to that voice, but put it out on a sheet of paper and say, how scary excited am I about this idea? And have 10 be the most scary excited and one be not at all. I could care less. This brings up kind of nothing. And pay extra close attention to like whatever gets the highest numbers. And then what you could do from there is say, okay, I have two nines and a 10. I'm going to take the next three months and test out these three business ideas and try to find guinea pigs and see what happens. Or... This is the thing like it almost almost doesn't matter what you pick (laughs) because you will get there eventually. And I always feel that doing is better than overthinking. I want to I just came up with this already. Doing is better than stewing every single time. And so if you if you make that scary, exciting list and you're like, well, I have three tens. And I don't want to spend time kind of doing the guinea pigs. I, I just I just want to pick one and go. Just pick one. Just pick one and just do something. And I promise you that if you keep your eyes open, if you, I like to say, keep your Nancy Drew hat on and see everything as an experiment and adjust along the way, you will get to where you need to go. It's guaranteed. So just pick something and do it. Just pick something and, and do try it, it on. Um, I used to always say, you can't pick a hat just by looking at it on the right. Ra-
0: you have to try on the hat. Because sometimes you look at the hat and you're like, I love this hat. And then you put it on and you're like, oh, No. We're going to get back to Michelle after the break. I want to let you know about what's happening inside the other second breaks, the newsletter. So this week inside the newsletter, we are talking about the Great Reset. So you may have read or heard references that the world is in some kind of a pause here. Now, a pause implies that we have stopped temporarily and we're going to get back to what we've always done soon enough. But a pause is not what we're having right now. Instead, Gary Bowles, Chair for the Future of Work at Singularity University, explains that it is closer to a Great Reset. We are experiencing a tectonic shift in the business world. And when this is all over, whenever it is all over, things are going to look different, feel different from when we left them back in February 2020, which feels like ages ago. Now on the road to quote unquote when this is all over, the business world and by extension all of us, we are going to go through a series of adjustments and changes. Because if you think about it, companies are going to want to do everything that they could to survive, right? So they're going to want to reinvent themselves, business models are going to change, automation will accelerate, cutting measures will be rolled out, creating further organizational changes. Now, all of these things are going to impact you and me, no matter our role, no matter what it is that we do in what industry we happen to be a part of today. It doesn't matter if we're consultants or business owners or employees, these things are going to impact us. But when I say impact, I don't necessarily mean in a bad way. Because with every or with any kind of change, comes opportunities. And if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I'm very bullish on opportunities. My friend, we have a unique opportunity here. We have front row seats. We can reposition ourselves better within the organizations that we work in, the communities that we serve. We have the opportunity to upskill. We have uh, the chance to reimagine how we can use our expertise in a changing economy and apply it differently. We can be even more relevant than we've ever been before for. So bottom line, Bowles says that we are in phase one of a three-phased slum. Ugh. But in this phase, we need to get busy. We don't want to simply sit on the sidelines and see what happens. That's the last thing we want. Or we might not like the kind of future that we get later if we don't engage. I was going to highlight another article, but I think I'd rather leave you with a great reset for today. But if you want to dig into this some more or check out the rest of the other stories in this week's issue, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash archive. Now, while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to get the newsletter for free in your inbox every Sunday. Now, let's get back to Michelle. We pick up the conversation right after I've asked her, what if I wanted to start a product-based business say I'm good with my hands and I want to sell things I've made what are the key things that I should be thinking about
1: I think I think the key things to think about um are volume and making sure that what you're doing is going to be sustainable for you (laughs) um so if, as an example, you know, I know someone who's a knitter, who's an Etsy shop, and it's very hard for her to like during the holiday season to keep up with her orders cuz she's one person who's doing custom work or putting stuff up there and all of a sudden in a 2 month period she gets 50 orders. Right. And she goes, I'm just one person and I'm knitting all day long and my fingers are going to fall off. Um so, you know, in that instance, I would think about well what's viable for you? how much can you knit and, and maybe the shop is very light during the year. And then, you know, in October, well, I've just knitted 40 things throughout the year and I'm going to put them all up in my shop and try to sell it and only take five custom orders and like sell out in that way. Um, I think that for a product based business, um, I'm trying to think of, and it's interesting because I feel like there's not really a hard and fast, aren't really like hard and fast commonalities or like, this is the thing to do first. I treat a product-based business like I do a service-based business where maybe this is even the better answer. You have to look at things as a whole. Like, What's, what's the mission statement? What's the point of the business? What's phase one of the business? Um, so, I work with a lot of artists, um, especially when we're talking about product based business. I work mostly with artists who have paintings, but also want to sell prints, but also want to make mugs, but also want to you know, do XYZ. Um, and often they get really overwhelmed thinking of, oh, but I want all these different products, I want all these different offers. And I say to them, let's take a step, let's take a step what's phase one of your shop phase one of your shop is probably it might be five paintings or it might be two separate prints I'm saying I'm selling these two prints and then you know within another month or two months okay I'm gonna offer three more prints and okay now I'm gonna grow to stickers um I'm thinking this way because
0: I have a friend who is in this spot like so she bakes and uh, she's very good at baking and 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 stuff it, it, that has to do with blenders and measuring cups and stuff um and so maybe phase 1 is maybe just doing birthday cakes for her friends right and so not thinking Big as in supplying birthday cakes to a bakery or whatever, so just what is phase one uh, birthday cakes or you know something like
1: that, right? That's uh, what you're saying phase that's one exactly thing. right. that's so much better than what okay. I said, yeah, um, and you know, for stuff like that, I know when you're baking cakes and you're selling them commercially, there's something with rules and regulations uh, and right. yes. you know commercial kitchens and whatever. so I would also encourage that friend like before she starts selling to just find someone that could walk her through those rules because she might not need that right away. But there might be something like, well, once you sell X amount of birthday cakes, or once this is the volume, or once these are the products, like you need to be in a commercial kitchen and what does that look like? And where is that space? And how much money does she need for that? And like that sort of piece to make sure you're up to code and, and, and regulations.
0: But I like that. I like the idea of, especially when it comes to product. I, I'm sure this relates to service based as well. But especially when it comes to product based, where you're actually creating, there's a volume involved that you have to really consider your capacity. Like you said, what is your capacity? If you still have a day job, and you're thinking I am going to be baking or making artwork on the weekend, like what is that capacity all about? And so what is your phase one? Yeah, I like that so let's turn to the service base and I know there's a lot of similarity but this is the person who's thinking maybe I could be a virtual assistant or maybe I could be a social media manager or so what are the first things I need to think about if this is what I'm thinking of doing
1: what I have learned even though when I work with multi-passionate highly creative women I do my best to not make them feel like I have thrown them in jail and threw away the key with like niching their offers. Right. And I know that the gurus say, you need a niche, you need a specialization. You should be a virtual assistant for copywriters who launch their business on a full moon and live in, in, you know, this small town, like, no, no. So the first thing is, um, I like to call it an, an umbrella theme, where it feels um, it feels like the TARDIS in Doctor Who, where it is small on the outside, it is concise. You are articulate. You're able to easily communicate who you are and what you do for people. But on the inside, you feel expansive. You feel like there are different things I could offer with this business. There are different ways to market it. Like I'm going to be scratching my itch as a multi-passionate person, even if I'm working as a virtual assistant for copywriters. And like, we could probably leave it at that. That would be a killer market. Um, Because what I have learned is, is that my clients who launch with targeted, specific offer audience get traction faster and have a successful business faster than those who say well I just want to be a virtual assistant so number one I think it's really important to figure out that umbrella theme what is your tar- TARDIS look like um, so you could be really clear when you're talking to people either through your marketing materials or face to face and then I'm really a stickler for um, an offer that is tailored obviously to the people you want to be working with. Um, and I encourage my clients to figure out what's the one-on-one offer that you need in order to gain that social proof, test out your process, gain experience. Cause a lot of women come to me and their business model, they want to be teaching groups and they want to be doing courses and they want to be writing books. And I'm like, yes, that's great but if we haven't done this yet yeah it's not step 1 <laughs> it's not step 1 and you'll do yourself a disservice by writing a book or launching a launching a program um because a uh, the process isn't set yet and b it's much harder finding 10 people to fill your program as a brand new business owner than to find one person to sign up and work with you. Um, So I always work with my clients on like, what's that one offer we're starting one-on-one, figuring out the pricing that works for you as well as would be appealing to the type of person you want to work with. Um, And then having a marketing plan together. You need to be on one social media channel that you're showing up. Three or four times a week, and you're pitching your face off. And to me, pitching means talking about your business to either anyone who doesn't know about your business, um, whether that is your aunt or a podcast host that you want to appear on their show or a networking group where you get to introduce yourself, you say your elevator pitch, you need to pitch your face off um, and send at least five to 10 pitches a week uh, and really start the networking because. I've only had one client in 12 years get her first client through someone who found her on Google. And I fell over when I heard that because I'm like, that has never happened before. It's always, your first clients are always going to come from your network. Always, always, always. I just want to bounce off a few things
0: quickly that we often hear about. These are the things that get them scared because they get overwhelmed, right? And, and and so you mentioned a couple of them, actually. All right, so th- thinking about the person who has never started a business before and is about to do it now, um, how important is it for me to set up a website right away? Is this number one thing? Do I need to
1: create a website? Um, I want to say yes, because um, it's... There's there's a confidence piece that goes both ways. If you are a business owner, and I'm talking about we're past the guinea pig phase, you do not need a website to get your guinea pig. That's a procrastination tool. Do not spend a month making a website so you can find a guinea pig to figure out whether you want to do this business. Stop it. You're procrastinating enough. But once we're past the guinea pig phase, we need a website to A, it's so hard for us to feel confident about being a business owner when we haven't done it before. I know you've talked to Tanya Geisler and I haven't listened to the episode yet, but she's my imposter complex guru, friend, teacher. Um, and every single one of my clients feels major imposter syndrome when they're starting their business. And so without a website that they feel proud of, that they could put the URL at the bottom of their email signature or connect it to their, their social media profiles or have business cards that say, here's my URL. And if they don't feel good about passing that along, then things, it's it's hard to be confident. It's hard to... It's easy to hide actually also. Yeah. And it's hard to like, You know, say to people who you meet, "Oh, well, here's you know, here's my website." But like, oh, it's not, and you're making excuses and you're apologizing. It's not good. It's not a good look for anyone. Um, I I want to just put a pin on something that you said
0: right at the beginning when you answered the question. Is this is the move after the guinea pig because people use this as the procrastination tool for not finding their guinea pig to start with to test their idea. So test your idea first. Find your guinea pigs, do those things. And then once you're,
1: okay, I'm pretty clear about what I want to do, then have a website. Then we have the website. And again, the website needs to be phase one. Like the website does not, um, will be doing yourself a disservice if you're like, I need my website to have, you know, four offers and 10 blog posts and you know, my ebook ready for that. No, like, um, my clients launch their websites within 90 days with their homepage, their about page, their contact page, an articles page if they want it, but they don't need to have it and their services page, or their shop page. That's usually all you need. That's it, the end. And if you only have, if
0: right now you only are offering one thing, just be okay with that. You don't have to come
1: up with. And if you're offering more than two things, it's too much. You're going to confuse people. They're not going to know what to pick. Like you're going to be confused, um, you know, when people come to you, oh, what do they need? And no, like, Pick one thing. Sometimes I'll allow my clients two offers like um and the other thing I want to say is I tell everyone to go to Squarespace. So don't procrastinate by building a Wix page and a and a thing and oh, let me just try every single one and then I'll see. Go to Squarespace, the end. You're done. It's so user-friendly. It always looks so much more professional than my clients who dig in their heels and go, but I want a WordPress site, but I want a Wix site, but well, you could do it, but it's not gonna look as good. Let's talk about uh, social media uh, quickly. Uh,
0: Be everywhere. Pick one. What is your suggestion if you're just starting (laughs) out?
1: No, don't be everywhere. If you're everywhere, you're nowhere. If you cater to everyone, you cater to no one. Um, There needs to be like a a Venn diagram um, of, you know, here's where you want to be. Here is the social media place you like. Um, Because if you're showing up in a place that you do not like, It's not going to be a good look for you. It's not going to do anything for you. We're going to be able to tell. You're going to show up once in a blue moon. It doesn't, you might as well just not do it. But you also need to show up where we know your people are. And we need to find the overlap of that. Um, So be everywhere in name only so that other people don't take your business name. And if other people tag you on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever you're not, you're at least visible and people could see your URL and you claim your name. So you claim your name on the different platforms, for example,
0: but you don't have to show up, like pick your place that you're going to show up.
1: Still put your bio, still put the the URL of your business, but you could even say this account is not active. Please please follow me on Instagram at this handle and whatever, direct them there.
0: Uh, You mentioned a couple of things that you do, but can you talk a little bit about the work that you do what exactly do you do? Who do you work with? And where can we find you online?
1: Yes. Okay. So I'm at when I grow up Um, from there you could head to my Instagram and I'm not really, I'm really active on Instagram. Um, at when I grow up coach. Um, so I work with highly creative, multi-passionate women who want to, at this point right now, launch and or build their dream businesses. Um, so I have my 90 day business launch program. Those are for aspiring business owners who do know what business they want to start. Um, I have my six month mastermind group called build your client base. And those are for women who are usually in the earliest stages of their business and, um, really need to make sure that they are not burying themselves in busy work. So really focus on helping those business owners, um, be really focused and clear on like, what is the work that gets me clients? What is the work that brings in money and, and filter out the other noise. And that's why there's six months together to really work together, get it right. It's up to um 20 women. And then I run a program called dream to done that takes these women through the discovery launch and build phase in an 11 month period. They could find all that information on all my different programs at when I grow
0: I hope you found that conversation with Michelle Ward helpful. For the show notes, the links, and highlights of this episode, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or like listening to this podcast, please share it with your friends. Tell them you like this episode or that you listen to this podcast regularly. They're going to thank you for it and so will I because it helps tremendously when you help spread the word. Next week, we're going to get curious about all things resumes and LinkedIn profiles. I don't know about you, but updating those things are on my procrastinate list. Why is it that updating resumes and LinkedIn profiles is a universally cringing task? Well, we get into that and more with top-notch career coach, Allison Lockett, who is just a gem to work with when it comes to crafting a resume that highlights all the things that you want to highlight. So the best way to not miss that episode and all future episodes is to subscribe to this podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you like listening to podcasts. Or if you happen to be catching this on the website right around the audio player, you're going to find options for podcast apps as well. Okie dokie, I'll be back next week with Alison Lockett. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans.